My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to a special Seattle edition of Mad Money from the iconic Space Needle. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. While we're out here getting a bird's eye view of the great city of Seattle, I've been thinking a lot about how the generative AI revolution is once again becoming the dominant theme in the stock market. Today, we saw how it can dwarf all others in the average as any stock with exposure to what's essentially a whole new industry erupted higher. That's how you get a session with the Dow is up 63 points. S&P gains 0.8%. And the tech-laden NASDAQ, filled with AI-related stocks, pole vaults 1.37%. Bye, bye, bye. The generative AI stocks are roaring because the pioneers in this industry are doing everything they can to mainstream and commercialize the technology, which I can assure you is for real and potentially extremely lucrative. And that is no hype. I know people, uh, plenty of people actually, who think the whole AI rally is overdone. But if anything, I think most investors are unaware of the lasting and powerful importance of this story. And even Wall Street isn't caught up to speed yet. And that's how the stock of AMD can jump nearly 10% after showing off its new AI chips, while Alphabet gained over 5% when it highlighted this Gemini insanely cool AI tool, and NVIDIA tacked on more than 2%, I don't know, because of AI semiconductor demand, with Amazon rallying more than a percent, too. Amazon's our major focus as we air the second part of our interview with CEO Andy Jassy later tonight. The most immediate spur for this AI rally? Yesterday, at her key product introduction, AMD CEO Lisa Su talked about how she thinks generative AI and its fixings will be a $400 billion industry in the next four years. That's huge on its own. But crucially, she was saying it could be as high as $200 billion back in August. So clearly, Dr. Su feels much more bullish about AI than she did just then. Uh, yeah, look, for an industry's prospects to double in five months is simply unheard of. Really, I've searched the annals. I can't find anything like it. But that's how AMD stock could rally like this after introducing some new chips that can speed the AI revolution along because investors realize there's room for more than just market leader NVIDIA. I am a huge fan of AMD, and it was a substantial holding for the trust before we took some big profits. But members of the CNBC Investing Club know that we went all in NVIDIA which has a huge software component in its graphics cards and is also supply constrained across the board. NVIDIA isn't threatened by AMD because it can't come close to meeting the demand for its own chips, even as AMD's products seem pretty darn fabulous. Hey, by the way, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy told me that Amazon Web Services will be using NVIDIA's incredibly powerful Grace Hopper supercomputer chips for their cloud infrastructure platform, even as it, too, is making chips for AI. Despite reports you may hear, the relationship between NVIDIA and Amazon is solid. Apparently, the migration to the cloud still has a lot of runway. I was stunned when Jassy told me that 90% of computing is still done on-premise, meaning it's still done off the cloud, even as the customers who will be left behind by the generative AI revolution if they don't move to the cloud soon. I think the competitive advantage of the companies that make the switch to the cloud is so stark that it's basically a change-or-die situation. And the only outfits that can handle the traffic are Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, and Microsoft's Azure. Now, I see Microsoft as the undisputed leader in AI. 
The launch of its Copilot platform has been incredibly successful. I know from my talks with the company that Copilot's unrivaled in its ability to help business people do their jobs better. I love the idea that business people who struggle, say, with the ability to translate new concepts into a digestible form for, say, investors or banks to understand they can't get it, or writers who are blocked and need inspiration to help with the numbers, they can turn to Copilot to solve their problems. Until I came out of here, I had no idea that Copilot's so far ahead when it comes to practical, everyday business uses. But that's the reality, aided in part by Microsoft's brilliant investment in OpenAI, the alpha behind ChatGPT. Yesterday, though, we got some news from Alphabet, which was widely rumored to be well behind the competitors in the space. They took this gigantic leap forward, revealing Gemini, their entry into generative AI, and it is dazzling. Now, you can watch the six-minute video, which I want you to do on X, a platform formerly known as Twitter, without any code. You can banter with Gemini, and this thing can recognize shapes, colors, items, movies. I was blown away by its creativity and bizarre by its kind of dry sense of humor. Take a look at these two examples from Gemini, and you'll get the gist of it. I know what you're doing. You're playing rock, paper, scissors. What do you see now? The fingers are spread out to look like the wings of a butterfly. What's this? Big ear and barking mouth, a dog. What movie are they acting out here? I think they are acting out the famous bullet time scene from The Matrix. All right, that's what sent Alphabet stock up 5% today, as investors caught up with what they're doing in AI. Until yesterday, I think people were under the illusion that Google was still stuck in search mode. The Gemini video shows that this business is much more uh, than just search and YouTube, hence why the stock's playing catch-up with the rest of the AI cohort. As for Amazon shareholders, oh, don't worry. Generative AI is already deeply embedded in Amazon's business. It's how Amazon understands what people around the world might want before they even know what they want. It's how they can send you same-day consumables, a wondrous change that makes it so you don't need to go to the store for staples and find a clerk to unlock the plexiglass it's hidden behind. Just order them online. You'll leave. You'll leave. You'll go to the office when you get back there on your stoop and you return. One thing I know, people, many people that I meet still struggle to understand what generative AI really means, especially for my age. If you don't get it, maybe a football example. I always find these help. Let me, let me give you this. Let me, let, this is a cool one. Check out an Amazon NFL presentation of Prime Vision using next-gen stats. Coaches work hard to disguise their plays, but after about a quarter of football, Amazon's generative AI is now up to speed and ready to predict a lot of the moves in advance, intra-game, including whether blitz might be coming and who's going to do it. It's, ins- it's insane how often they get it right. This thing's smarter than Bill Belichick, at least when it comes to picking up the blitz. You can run, but you can't hide from generative AI. It knows everyone's next move, even the masters of NFL disguise. So let me give you the bottom line. I know it seems old hat by now, but generative AI just keeps astonishing us. And as long as it does, the stocks behind it will astonish too. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Joseph in Hawaii. Joseph. Good morning, Mr. Kramer, and aloha from the big island of Hawaii. How are you today? Mahalo. I am good. How about you? I'm doing well. First time caller, but long time viewer. Thank you for taking my call. A big shout out to all of your hardworking men and women on your staff. And thank you for all your measurable wisdom and guidance over the many years. Your time, my staff is unbelievable. (laughs) Okay. Well, our good friends at Blackstone have offered to purchase Rover 
for $2.3 billion, and yes, we all love our fur babies. Jim, with an eye to history, Blackstone purchased Hilton in 2007, took on substantial debt during a major restructuring, was a leveraged buyout transaction, $26.8 billion, all cash offer, a record dollar amount for that time. Seven years later, in 2014, Hilton went public once again. The IPO was $21. Today, Hilton is trading at $168. A Incredible. Story Incredible. Indeed. Moving forward, I have three basic questions. What is your take on the Rover acquisition? Will any third party possibly bid to buy before the January 24 deadline? And lastly, should I buy Rover? Thank you, Jim. Okay, no, don't buy, don't buy Rover, buy Blackstone. You know, we did cover Rover earlier this week. It was right after Elon Musk spoke, and I think it kind of got lost in the Musk shuffle. But that was a brilliant deal, and Blackstone is a great company. And there was some guy slamming him the other day, and I said, do they know who they're slamming? It's John Gray that you're betting against. No one makes money betting against John Gray. The generative AI revolution is happening right before our eyes, and it's an astonishing development. It's leading to some incredible gains in stocks that are driving it all. Oh, man, tonight, coming to you from Seattle's Space Needle, when the CEO of Amazon joins you for the first time in 19 years, you can't cover all your questions just one night, can you? Tonight, my conversation with Andy Jassy continues as we take a deeper dive into the company's businesses. Then, home builder stocks are on the move, hitting new highs, as Toll Brothers reported a beat on the top and bottom lines. I'm breaking down the earnings and telling you if it could be the last or many of good quarters. And is T-Mobile coming in on a strong signal in this market? I'm going to sit down with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Last time we got the chance to speak with Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon.com, and we had so many questions that we couldn't cover it all in one night. We saved the stuff about his most exciting projects for tonight, so take a look. So, Andy, we know about how artificial intelligence works. There are two camps, though. There's one camp which says we've got to be very beware of it. It could be a dangerous thing. We don't know what's going to happen. And then there's another camp which just says, look, we can't all go to Stanford comp sci, it's going to enable millions of people to be involved in computing democracy. Which camp do you fall in? Well, I think you can't fully be in only one of those camps. You know, I happen to think that generative AI is going to change every customer experience, and it's going to make it much more accessible for everyday developers, and even business users to use. So I think there's going to be a lot of societal good, but you have to pay attention to some of the dangers of, of uh, generative AI, and you have to have the right security, and you got to make sure that um, that the models are not overly hallucinating, and so you, you do have to care about safety. And that, and it, in the businesses we operate in, whether you're talking about consumers and our consumer businesses or enterprises in our AWS business, they, they're going to care about the safety pieces. So we have a lot of focus there, but I also don't think that you should throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, I actually think this is going to be hugely helpful in every customer experience. But how do you know exactly what I'm going to buy before I know it? Well, I don't know if we always know, but thank you. Um, but mm -hmm. we, we work hard, you know, based on 
um, what you've bought, um, what you, uh, what other people have bought, similar things to what you've bought, um, where you're, you know, what you're actually looking at. We try to predict what you might be interested in and show you those things and recommendations. Well, that, that is in many ways great customer service. I, uh, nine years ago, I came out and met with one of the Nordson brothers, and he said, look, uh, watch it. Amazon's going to end up having the best touch. Do you think you're there yet? Are more things you can do? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I think that... I think that we do a very good job of recommending items to people and, and helping them discover items. And yet, I think all of us that, you know, on the team would say that there's so much more we can do, and we're constantly improving our models, and generative AI are going to make our models even better, and, and it's also going to make discovery even easier. So I think we're pretty good at it, and I think we're still in the early days. You know, I listen to the value of Prime and listen to what you guys are offering. Then I think about the FTC, and how the FTC, frankly, just feels that you're entrapping people in Prime. And it's almost laughable to me. You do everything to keep prices down in trap. I mean, it's it's a joy when you see these things. I know you're I'm not asking you to litigate here, but doesn't it seem Thank almost uh, just a simplistic way of looking at things? Well, we've said this a few times. We think they're wrong on the facts and the law. And, you know, and I think even on, on the prime issue you're talking about. For us, we don't. It's, it doesn't really behoove us to trick people into signing up for Prime because the Prime subscription fee is a small part of the total value for customers and for our business. What what really works for us with Prime and for customers is that they get that fast, free, unlimited deliver uh, shipping, and they and they can use it off of Amazon, and they get all the Prime Video benefits and the Prime. It's it's that collection of benefits. And so, if we somehow tricked people into signing up for Prime and they didn't actually use the benefits, it wouldn't really do us very much good. No. And, and customers actually, we have many, many customers who found it easy to cancel Prime if they decide they want to change. Well, now, there are other people who just say, listen, you're too big, you hurt small business. It's a, I think it's a canard, but I understand that people could feel that way because of the size of your operation. Well, I think that if you really look at the facts, you know, what we have done for small companies and small businesses in, in this country and, and across the world, I think it's pretty remarkable. We have a couple million small businesses that sell in our marketplace where they're able to have a much larger business and reach many more customers than they possibly could themselves. What's hard about starting a business is not putting up a website. That's relatively straightforward. It's actually finding all the customers and then actually having to pick, pack, and ship and deliver to customers. And so the fact that we do that for so many small businesses has changed the the magnitude of what small businesses can yeah, actually I, earn. You, you guys in your quarterly talk about you've created You've created millions of businesses. Yeah, and we've done it in the marketplace, and, and we've also done it in AWS. If you think about, in the old days, when you were a startup, you had to raise 4 or $5 million up front just to pay for your data center and your hardware and your networking gear. And then you get one shot at trying your idea. With AWS, you actually don't have to worry about spending any of your capital that you raise on the data centers or the servers and networking gear. And you can try lots of instantiations of your idea for you know pennies or, or a few dollars a month until you find traction. Like that, that has totally changed the game for small companies and startups. All right, now I'd like to talk about things that I'm not sure are working yet. I find Alexa stilted, for instance. I, she does, sometimes she just doesn't understand. Not enough me. personality for you? No, she oh. doesn't. She's flat. Mm -hmm. and, and she, look, she's a yes man. She does whatever I want. <laughs> but I, I do feel like that there's, it's not conversational enough. Can you change that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. Our vision for Alexa 
was to build the world's best personal assistant. And you know, if we were trying to just build a smart speaker, we would largely be there. There'd always be things to work on, but we'd be much further along. But if you want to build the world's best personal assistant, that's a much broader endeavor. And people used to scoff at that, at that vision and that notion, but if you've studied generative AI and you're still scoffing, you're really not paying attention. It is going to happen. And you know, with 500 million Alexa-enabled devices out there with a couple hundred million active endpoints and entertainment and smart home and shopping and information. We think we have a real opportunity to be the leader there and we're in the process of, of building a much more expansive large language model underneath Alexa that will make her both much more knowledgeable and much more conversational for you, Jim. We need that. Now, my, yeah. my trust is worried about the following, okay? You're doing satellites, that you're selling cars. I mean, you're doing healthcare. I worry Okay, they're doing too much. There's no, you, you can't humanly possible do all the things that you're doing. Well, I, you know, the way we have always thought about new investments here at the company, and again, I'm not saying it's the right way, it's the way we've always thought about them, is we ask ourselves four questions. We ask, if we're successful, can it be big and move the needle at Amazon? Is it being well served today? Do we have a differentiated approach? And then, can we, do we have competence there? And if not, can we acquire quickly? And if we like the answers to those questions, we will invest. Now, sometimes that leads to very natural extensions, like getting into more international countries or grocery or um, uh, buy with Prime. And sometimes it leads to less obvious extensions, like you know, AWS was not obvious to people right, given right. what we were doing. And, and so each of those um, businesses that you're talking about, investments, fit that criteria. Just take Kuiper as an example. So Kuiper, there are 400 to 500 million households across the world that have no broadband connectivity. That means they can't do education online, they can't do business online, they can't shop, they can't do entertainment. Um, you know, enterprises have no network around them, governments have no visibility. And so the low earth orbit satellite that we're building with Kuiper is gonna change the connectivity for all those households that just haven't had it. It just completely changes what's possible for that's them. It's gonna cost you a fortune. It's, it's capital intensive upfront. But it has a lot of the same types of characteristics of AWS, where if you're willing to invest the capital upfront, there's a large market segment there that you can actually provide something that they couldn't otherwise have. And I think we can charge a low price and still make good margins where it's a good business for us. So we, I actually am very bullish about that business. And cars? Well, remember, cars are really an extension of our retail business. So okay. we did a strategic agreement with Hyundai, and it's got three elements to it. The first is that they're going to make their cars available on Amazon. So there really aren't any um, websites where you can buy a car end-to-end. -end. They're usually lead generation for the dealerships. Right. Here, with what we're doing with Hyundai, is that they'll have their cars available. Customers will be able to buy a car end-to-end -end with whatever features they want and pick it up at whatever dealership they want. And they get to take all the muck of having to negotiate and financing and wait for the loan that takes three hours, and it'll take about 15 minutes on Amazon. So it's gonna be a great customer experience. And then as part of the strategic agreement, they're gonna put the Alexa experience in their cars and they're gonna move their on-premises uh, technology infrastructure at AWS. So it's a, a very broad, expansive strategic agreement. Um, the, the selling of cars is really an extension of a retail business, but we, we're very bullish about the partnership. They, they are very focused on customers like we are. Healthcare, very hard to do. And you're wading into that. Well, if you think about that rubric I said earlier, 
but are there sure. are there customer experiences that are worse than health? No, I mean, like it's it's it's. Well, no passport and driver's license. We do that. But even some of those are getting better. I mean, you know, and, and getting into the country is a lot better than it was before. And so, you know, for us, if you, I think when we tell our grandkids that the way you used to have to see a doctor was, you know, call three weeks in advance, drive 20 minutes, park, wait in the waiting room for, wait in the reception for 20 minutes, get into an exam room for 15 minutes, doctor comes in, talks to you for 10 minutes, drive 20 minutes to the pharmacy, drive to work or wherever you're going. They're just not gonna believe us. Like I used to not believe my parents didn't have color TV when they were growing up. And so, you know, we, we have an opportunity with One Medical, which is primary care. It's a, it's a radically different experience. It's a, it's a really amazing, digital app with all your information readily available. You can chat with physicians. You can do video conferences. They have physical clinics. Um, the doctors will come see you and spend 30 or 60 minutes with it, you. It's, it's the patient's call. You can get an appointment same day. You can see specialists next day. Like It's a totally different experience. And then when you have to go to the pharmacy, you can have Amazon Pharmacy deliver it. And it's you know it's really broad selection. It's great pricing. We have programs like RxPass, which allow you for you know key generics to, for $5 a month to get unlimited uh, amounts of that like so it's these are very different experiences in healthcare i think we can be a big part of, of that solution being a better experience okay i worry about about international now it looks like it's about to go in the black but it took you years and years and years you have to be in india it's the fastest growing big country in the world but again i mean are we going to start at zero and spend fortunes i think uh you know i I think you don't have to worry that much about international, Jim. It's, it's, a, it's a really big business today, and it's growing really nicely, and I think it's going to be a very large, profitable business for us. When you enter a new geography, you know, if you think about in our established international geographies, UK, Germany, Japan, growing really nicely, growing even faster than we anticipated, um, like the profitability uh, uh, trajectory there. We have a lot of new emerging markets, India, Brazil, Mexico, Australia, Africa, Middle East, um, some countries in Europe. And, you know, those are all places that want to have delivery and, and, and local operations. And when you launch those, you, you know, the, you have to lay down a certain amount of fixed costs, and then you need enough revenue to cover those fixed costs. But they're following the same type of trajectory the U.S. did and the U.K. and Germany and Japan did. And they're all growing well, and the profitability is, is, is moving the right way. They're gonna, it's going to be a very large profitable business for us. No, what happened? What was the delta that it was so good this last quarter? It, You're so close to break even. So close. Well, we, you know, we're continuing to grow at, at a more rapid clip than we might have projected, and then we're continuing to take our cost to serve down our fulfillment network, and that, that's changed our profitability profile. Well, it's amazing. Now, I do have something from, from uh, I do want to add, which is that uh, I'm trying to figure out, you guys must love my wife. Because there's a present from Amazon on our step every single day. Bless her, Jim. <laughs> Thank you. Great to see you. That's Andy yeah. Jackson, President and CEO of Amazon. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Coming up, what's a move in mortgage rates mean for a home builder like Toll Brothers? Kramer checks out the foundation of a cohort with a home field advantage. Next. Welcome back to Mad Money, coming to you from the iconic Space Needle in Seattle. Now, a year or two ago, if you had told me that we could have the highest mortgage rates in decades and some homebuilders would be hitting new all-time highs, I would have just laughed in your face. 
But that's exactly what we're seeing in Toll Brothers, the luxury home builder, which soared again after reported a great quarter on Tuesday night. The whole housing complex got obliterated this fall when long-term interest rates were soaring because historically these are terrible stocks to own in that kind of environment. For example, Toll Brothers lost almost 20% of its value from its September 1st high through its low on October 25th. Since then, though, rates have pulled back and the home builders have rebounded. The average 30-year fixed mortgage rate has fallen from 7.8% late October, just over 7% now. But, man, 7% is still pretty darn high, at least in the standards of the last 15 years. And you know what? These stocks were right to rebound. Toll Brothers reported terrific quarter on Tuesday night, and the stock gained nearly 2% yesterday before tacking on another 2.5% today, pushing it further into all-time high territory. Even though mortgage rates are high, Toll posted much better than expected numbers. It was a substantial sales and earnings beat. Even though deliveries were down 27% year-over-year, their average price per unit was up nearly 13%. Now, this is not supposed to happen at this point in the business cycle, people. Meanwhile, Toll's margins are expanding because their input costs keep coming down. In fact, business is so good that the company's aggressively buying back its own stock. It retired 4% of their share count in just three months. In the 12 months ending in October, they've repurchased 7.9 million shares at an average price of 72. Hey, impressive. The, the stock's now at 91. What else? Many of the forward-looking metrics here were solid, with contracted homes, net signed contract value, and total backlog all basically in line with expectations. And remember, this was during a period where mortgage rates soared. That's not a good environment for selling homes. But given the pullback in interest rates since late October, what about the future? Now, on the conference call, CEO Doug Yearly, boy, he was really confident. He said demand remains solid into the start of the current quarter, which for Toll Brothers began last month, possibly better than how things normally look at this time of the year. He also said rates may drop further just in time for the company's major spring selling season. I think it's very encouraging. It's a major reason why Toll Brothers issued robust guidance for both the current quarter and the next fiscal year. Although, honestly, Ben, I still... I think they're lowball in the forecast. So how the heck is Toll Brothers holding up this well, despite higher mortgage rates than we've had in decades? Well, I got a chance to speak with Doug Yearly earlier this morning on Squawk on the Street, and he confirmed something that I've been saying for quite a while. While the spike in mortgage rates has hurt them, kind of helps them a little, too. People got ultra-cheap mortgages a few years ago, routinely at about half the rate they get now, are very reluctant to sell their existing homes, unless they can afford to pay cash for a new one. That's contributing to the massive housing shortage in this country. And a housing shortage is great for the home builders. Listen to this. Historically, about 10% of the homes in this country are sold as new homes. 90% are resales. But with the people that own a home locked into a 3 to 4% rate, the resale market is completely frozen. It's at historic tight low levels. And now 30% of the homes in this country that are sold are new. So there's a migration to new because we have the homes. They're energy efficient. The architecture is great. We can buy down mortgage rates. And so we're really benefiting. You know, the old trade was when rates go up, sell the builders. And that has just not been the case. And so the industry has really benefited. Even among homebuilders, the Toll Brothers is doing particularly well. A lot of that's because they make high-end houses. And it's the high end of the housing market that's really in the best shape. So many people are buying Toll Brothers homes. They're averaging a little over one million bucks with cash or huge down payments. And you can't do that unless you're relatively wealthy. Still, given that this stock's up over 83% for the year, I know what you're thinking. I mean, can it like, keep running? Wait a second. I think it can. I'll tell you why. 
The homeowners are due for what's known as a wholesale re-rating, where Wall Street collectively decides to pay a lot more for a given industry's earnings. Right now, it's wholesales for 7.4 times next year's earnings estimates. This has been a boom-bust industry, so that made sense. But investors keep betting that the earnings are going to evaporate now that rates are so high. But while tolls of earnings were expected to fall last year, they held it much better than anybody expected. In fact, the company delivered five monster earnings beats in a row. And earnings per share ended up growing 13% in the fiscal year that just ended in October. It kind of blows me away. It deserves it. It sure does deserve that re-rating. Now, look, eventually what's going to happen is this. The analysts will stop being surprised by the great numbers toll reports, and that's when the home builders will get re-rated. The stock is cheap because people just don't think toll brothers can continue to make the numbers. But once Wall Street believes the numbers, the reality, it will get a higher valuation. Maybe one befitting of the, the, the secular growth I can't believe I just used that same word for a home builder, but secular growth that tolls generating. Why isn't the industry seeing the same kind of housing bust that we usually get at this point in the business cycle? Yearly says it's because the home builders are a lot more disciplined than they used to be. They don't go crazy buying land and overbuilding when times are good anymore. They always did that, which means they didn't get stuck with tons of excess inventory once the Fed started tightening aggressively and had to cut price, cut price, cut price to sell the houses. Once Wall Street realizes that this is the new model, I bet the stocks in the industry will be worth a heck of a lot more. If people will just pay 10 times earnings for Toll Brothers, up from the 7.4 times earnings they're paying now, this $91 stock would be at $123. You know, that wouldn't shock me at all anymore. Plus, given the company's track record, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the earnings estimates continue to be too low. Remember, these guys earned $12.36 in their 2023 fiscal year. But 12 months ago, the analysts thought they'd only make $8.50. Let me give you the bottom line here. Toll Brothers can keep hitting new all-time highs because nobody expected their business to hold up so incredibly well to begin with during what's supposed to be a huge housing downturn. And now that interest rates are headed lower... I bet Toll Brothers stock has a lot more room to run. Let's take calls. Let's go to Jeffrey in Massachusetts. Jeffrey. Hey, Kramer, pal. What's up? Sorry about your birds the other night, buddy. Hey, man, we got a game Sunday. What are you worried about? New one coming up. Forget the last one. What's going on? <laughs> Just kidding from a Chiefs fan. But any all jokes aside. I'm <laughs> How'd you do? How'd you do Monday night, Joker? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Which stock? Carrier, my man. Cool enough, oh, yeah, okay, you well, you, can, you confused me with the Chiefs thing. All right, so Carrier has got this acquisition in Europe, and it's, it's dogging the stock, and I think it shouldn't. I think that Dave Gitlin has done a very good job here, and I think the Carrier is a buy. But I've got to tell you, TT is doing better. That is trained technologies, and that's the one I would take over it right now. I think Toll Brothers can keep hitting new all-time highs from here because their business has held up so well over the past year. And now that they have the wind at their backs with lower interest rates, it's really going to be just clean sailing going higher. Much more man money ahead, including my Susan with T-Mobile. Could the Washington State-based telecom have you phoning into province? Don't miss my sit-down. Then is the EV trend short-circuiting? I'm giving my take. And all your calls, of course, rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Over the 
Over the past six months, longtime Kramer fave T-Mobile has quietly exploded higher, up 25% from its early June lows, breaking out to new all-time high territory within the past week. Now, the stock's been on a roll ever since T-Mobile reported a beat and raise quarter late October, not long after they announced a huge new dividend buyback program in September. What comes next? Well, while we're out here in Washington, we made sure to look. So you got to spend some time with Mike Seaver. You can't come here without doing that. President and CEO of T-Mobile, get a better sense of what's happening. Mr. Seaver, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, thanks for coming up to the corner of the country, Jim. Well, Great to I, have you here. I love it up here. It's just fantastic. Now, i got to ask you, three years ago, you laid out to me what I thought was, a, frankly, too bullish uh, view, which was that you would have 300 million people covered with 5G. It was a monumental goal, and you did it. What does it mean for your company, and where does it put you versus the competition? Well, thanks, Jim. You're not alone. Most people didn't believe us. You know, no. you think about this country is vast. Think about this. To cover 100 million people and then to go to 200 is three times more landmass. Okay, and then to go from 200 million people to 300, again, three times more landmass. So it gets harder and harder. We have covered this entire country, 300 million people with mid-band 5G. And what that means is that our customers are experiencing faster speeds, more reliable connections to 5G, and that's more important now than ever because they're relying on their smartphones now more than ever. So they watch, do everything. Now, one thing you have to explain to people, because especially us city folk, we talk about rural, and I think there's like 100 people in this country who are rural. It's actually a huge group of people, and you're trying to make it so everybody in rural areas has phone service. Yeah, we, we count up the entire area of rural areas and smaller markets. So 40% of the population. And three, three years ago, we were no place in this. You know, right. our network was from, coming from way behind. Q3 was a milestone for us in smaller markets and rural areas. For the first time ever in our history, T-Mobile was the share-taking leader in smaller markets and rural areas. And you talk about those promises we made three years ago when we were nobodies in this yeah. space. We said we'd be, by 2025, a 20-share. That's starting to look like we might blow right past that. Yeah, this stuff is really happening. And I know, I know when, when you said it, and we were in Times Square, I said, oh, man, I wish you wouldn't make that promise. But <laughs> you did it. Now, we're seeing much of the communications sector, frankly, being decimated. It's just not working for a lot of these companies. Um, it, is this the loan area where a lot of money can still be made. You know, honestly, I don't get why others are hurt. I think the industry is a really healthy place to be. Think about this. Cash flows in this industry overall, I'm not talking about the T-Mobile right, book, right, right. in the industry overall are way higher than five and ten years ago. There's this 5G dividend unfolding that I don't think people talk about enough because the companies are benefiting. It's a very healthy industry producing great value creation across the board, led by T-Mobile's value creation, of course. But also, that's not coming on the backs of consumers and business. In fact, consumers and businesses are getting more than ever. Do you know that just compared to five years ago, people are getting three times more data on their smartphones and using it up, and they're using it at four times faster speeds at about the same or lower prices. That means the per unit price of this industry is incredibly deflationary. Really I mean, it's is. falling through really the floor is. in terms of the cost to move a gigabyte of data, you know, a, a video. Yeah, and other well, I'm trying to think in my head yeah. while you're There's saying no other industry no like industry since 2019, the actual pricing is lower. That's the 5G dividend. Right. And so the industry is benefiting with enormous value creation and cash flows, but so are consumers and businesses by being able to move massive amounts of data. And I'll tell you what, at the dawn of the AI era, 
the ability for people to move massive amounts of data from their mobile devices is going to turn out to be more important than ever. All right, let's speak about the competitive dynamic. You still have a fantastic deal with, with Apple. Is the iPhone 15 still a great way to be able to get people to come in? When people get a new phone, it is a great chance for them to get a new carrier. And so that's one of the things that's driving our growth. I mean, every year when these new devices come out, you know, we come out swinging to show people that, look, when you get your new device, you might as well have it on the fastest 5G network, and maybe we can save you some money along the way. All right. Now, have you looked at the Vision Pro? Absolutely. Any way that you could ever do a buy now, pay later deal with Apple so that I could get a Vision Pro if I go to T-Mobile? Well, look, for you, for you, will. No, well, yeah. kind of a proverbial. <laughs> you know, listen, the first one goes with your phone. Um, and so, right. you know, we generally don't do financing on things that right. don't connect right. to our network. But, you know, we'll see where that technology goes, because, you know, I think we're going to see more and more devices that connect directly to the 5G networks yes. instead of through Wi-Fi and through your devices. And that's going to be a fantastic, you know, evolution for this industry. And, of course, we're going to make those easy to buy. Well, t- tell me about fixed wireless and success versus versus cable companies. Well, for the last five quarters in a row, we've rolled up more growth in home internet than AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, and Charter combined each and every one of the quarters. So we're by far the fastest growing in the space. And we're the number five ISP in the country nationwide now. Most people don't know that. And so millions of people are relying on us, not just for their mobile phones, but for their home internet as well. And that's a showcase of the power of T-Mobile's unique 5G network. Okay. Now, Speak to me of what you guys are doing. We were surprised when you're in Seattle, actually is in many ways the headquarters of, of generative AI. People <laughs> got Microsoft, right? I mean, and of, of course we were at Amazon Web Services. What can I do with my phone with, with generative AI, say, say a year from now, two years from now? Well, you think it's really interesting because today most people think of Gen AI as being centered around text. Yes. And if you think about every great innovation in computing since the dawn of personal computing, it has always started with text, right? right? When I had my first modem in the 1980s and it made that noise and connected to the internet, <laughs> right. It was sending just text. And so that's how people think of Gen AI, but that's not how it's going to unfold. Gen AI is going to move massive amounts of video and you know, augmented reality content data between your personal devices and the cloud. I saw your interview with Andy. I thought it was terrific. Oh, thanks. And he Thank talked you. about how Gen AI is going to usher in and sort of lock in the era of cloud even more. Right. Well, it's going to do the same for 5G, because when you're moving massive amounts of information from your person to be, to be processed by yeah. AI, in the cloud, that takes connectivity. And of course, you know, that's going to showcase the advantage of our unique world-leading 5G network here so, at So, in other words, I, I'm always looking at share take. I should also be thinking about how much you'll make per customer. It's a great way to value why I think your stock's going to keep going higher. Well, we're just going to be positioned so well as as things unfold, people are going to move about the world and need massive connectivity right. in That's the era of AI. And yeah. only T-Mobile is uniquely positioned well, to deliver that kind look, of I, massive connectivity. Well, I, I'm glad I've been recommending your stock because everything you say about what, what you said you do happened. Not very few people have been able to write to say that. That's Spike Seabreeze, T-Mobile President and CEO, TMUS. Man, buddy's back into the break. Thanks, Jim. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's have Frank in New Jersey. Frank. Jim, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. I was wondering if you'd be kind enough to give me your insight and opinion on Camtech. Would it be a buy, sell, or hold? 
Okay, Frank, fabulous company. Stock is too expensive. You must wait for a pullback. Let's say Jake in North Carolina. Jake. Oh. Booyah! You're up, Jake. Hey there, Booyah. Oh, wow, that's spirited. What's up? What's going on? Uh, hi. Uh, so I came in with a question for Atcor Inc., uh, A-T-K-R. And, uh, I know it. it, it and is... listen, when I do anything involving steel, I immediately default to Nucor. You have to do that. It's the best in show, even if it's just peripheral. Let's go to Rob in Virginia. Rob. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Jim, I have a position in Novavax with an average cost basis of 160 Should I cut my losses and sell or hold on and wait for a recovery? Look, I, I just dislike the company entirely and have done so for a very, very long time, even when it was much, much higher. So I have nothing to say, nothing good to say about it. Let's go to Feruza in Massachusetts. Feruza. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? I am good. How about you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm a student at Westfield State University in Massachusetts. Quick shout out to my finance professor, Mr. Fiore. I wanted to ask course, you, what's crypto pure. making its way back up recently? Is there any hope for Coinbase stock regardless of its uncertainty? Well, Coinbase, the, the stock's doubled. Look, I, no, I wouldn't worry about that. I think that the, the stock is doubled. I'm worried about the fact that the stock is too expensive. Let it come in. Peter in Connecticut. Peter. Booyah, Jimmy. How you doing? I am doing well, Peter. How you doing? Good. I got a quick question for you. What do you think of I point? Okay, this stock has just been straight up, and so therefore I think that the easy money has been made here. You got to find something else. Let's go to Rob in California. Rob. Booyah, Jim Shell. Um, I'd like your opinion Yo, on American Eagle Outfitter. Look, it's, it's good. It did screw up in the past, though. I say ANF is much better. That's the one to go with. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, losing their charge? Kramer switches gears towards the sobering reality of EVs when Mad Money returns. Electric cars aren't economic. They don't hold their value, and they're real hard to repair. A couple years ago, we thought they were the future of the automobile. Now, hardly a day goes by without more realizations that other than Tesla, no automaker has been able to produce an electric vehicle that can keep up with a hybrid, the combination engine that's still heavy on fossil, light on electric. Today's disappointment, a report from Goldman Sachs talking about how Hertz has been hurt by its electric emphasis, having taken down a gigantic number of Teslas, hoping they'd actually hold their value better than old-fashioned internal combustion engines. Hey, listen to this. Quote, Hertz outlier strategy of significantly investing in EVs, now 11% of the fleet, has proved costly with one, Pressure on pricing due to oversupply. Two, higher collision and damage costs at twice ICE vehicles. And three, higher depreciation as a result of lower resale value. All I can say is this is extremely disappointing. Hertz was right that it needs to have Teslas, but the increasingly existentialist Elon Musk is being proven wrong about the worth of his cars. They don't hold their value, no matter how much he says they do. And just because they have fewer parts, it doesn't make them easier to fix. What a come down. On top of that, the value proposition just isn't there without big government subsidies, especially when you consider the falling price of gasoline. 
Cheaper gas is causing a very big swing in what matters for the big automakers. I touched base exclusively yesterday with Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford, which is an investing club holding, and he told me what's selling. He said, and I quote, our hybrid sales in November were up 75 percent and up 23 percent for the year. He continued, quote, we plan to expand our hybrid vehicle lineup and look to double our hybrid sales with the launch of the new F-150 hybrid truck due out in a few weeks. Uh, Ford's not abandoning the electric space, far, far from it. And it does have the number one electric truck in America, the F-150 Lightning. But legacy automakers make incredibly lucrative internal combustion vehicles that are loved in this country. Abandoning that space has proven to be a lot harder than anyone thought. So we've seen a collapse in many electric vehicle stocks and anything connected to them. But one thing I feel very good about after being out here in Seattle is Rivian. Yes, Rivian, which Amazon owns more than a 16% stake in. They seem to have a game plan that actually is a lot like Tesla's. Rivian has popular passenger cars and delivery vans, with the delivery vans being especially, especially exciting, really, for companies that want to reduce their carbon emissions. Just this morning, Steve will put out a piece recommending Rivian which talks about their agreement with Amazon for 100,000 vehicles, along with some possibly revolutionary battery technology that could make their cars and trucks more economic. Steeple's using a $23 price target for this $19 stock. At the end of the day, though, everybody was too optimistic about the electric vehicle space, including Tesla. The value proposition seems to be sinking, even as the environmental imperative hasn't gone away. I just don't see how electrics take over the country unless the government subsidizes them even more, more heavily. Or we allow cheap Chinese imports. But that would be deadly for the traditional auto industry. And I don't see either plan having much support in Washington. Yet reports of the internal combustion engine's demise, like it or not, have been wildly exaggerated. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.